G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, always good to catch up on the latest political agenda. Martin Isles, the Managing Director of Australian Christian Lobby, joining us. Hello Martin, welcome back to 2020. G'day Neil, good to be back. Oh, Martin, very significant time. We've been anticipating this for uh, quite a long time now. It seems to be forever since Parliament last sat because there's been all of these issues, elections, all of this water under the bridge. But Parliament resumes tomorrow. Just before it does, though, a little bit of pomp and ceremony happening in Canberra today with the swearing-in of the new Governor-General, uh, David Hurley. I, I imagine uh, that's a, a, a significant thing that, uh, you know, then when there's a change of baton there to a new Governor-General, uh, do you have a, a brief uh, impression of, of the new Governor-General and the thoughts about what might be happening with that? Well, I do uh, understand that David Hurley is a card-carrying sort of uh, Christian, so somebody who uh, identifies with Christian faith and is quite unashamed of that, uh, and uh, and is known as such. So uh, we will, after this, see that we have a Christian Governor-General and a Christian Prime Minister. So I, I think there can only be good things coming from that, especially when both men are very open about their faith and very clear in what they believe. Uh, it is a significant development, and undoubtedly we might have some more to say about that in the weeks to come. Uh, other big things that are happening, of course, uh, tax cuts, no doubt, are going to be the priority uh, with the new parliament. Uh, any thoughts on, on how the priorities are likely to sit? Because I know we'll want to talk about religious freedom, but uh, what do you think the priorities might be this week? Well, I think they've been trying to figure that out because <laughs> nobody expected to be here. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't think the government expected to be the government and the opposition didn't expect to be the opposition. Uh, so I think they've spent the last few weeks, it's been very quiet on the political front, I think a lot of people have noticed. I think that's partly because Scott Morrison needed a big rest, uh, but also uh, because they've just been trying to figure out their agenda. And look, it would be politics as usual. It will be politics as usual if they walk into Parliament on the first week back and have a dirty big... Uh, wallop at the other side over money, finances, uh, taxes, uh, you know, the economy. Uh, that'll be typical political speak, because when in doubt, that's what the politicians do. It's the economy stupid. Uh, and I think what's going to happen from what I understand is that any uh, progress on the religious freedom front will be much quieter. They are very uh, skittish uh, and a little bit concerned about the controversy around the issue of religious freedom. Uh, and so that will be a quiet development that simmers away for a little longer yet, uh, knowing that they have strong support. But you're right, Neil, I think that this week it will be the coalition uh, will be painting a very strong picture that they're going to be nicer to you at the hip pocket because they want tax cuts and Labor doesn't. Uh, so we can expect to be back in political land very much. Interesting, isn't it, Martin, when you look at the new crossbench in the Senate, that there are some people in there who have 
significantly more power than they have ever had before. And while we're talking about tax cuts and while we're talking about things like the Medivac uh, bill, I note that Jackie Lambie is uh, someone that media commentators have been focusing in on as someone who is going to hold a lot of sway when it comes to a lot of the decisions that the government wants to make. Any thoughts on Jackie Lambie being in that role? Yeah, it's a difficult one, Matt. I mean, you, you rightly say, Neil, that the two big winners in the Senate will be Jackie Lambie and Malcolm Roberts. Malcolm Roberts being the One Nation candidate from Queensland who got up, and Jackie Lambie from Tasmania uh, for her own party, the Jackie Lambie Network. The only two real minor party candidates that made it over the line this time. So, yes, they have a lot of influence and a lot of sway. The challenge with Jackie Lambie is that she doesn't have a coherent political philosophy. So what that what that effectively means is it's nearly impossible to know where she's going to land on a given issue uh, because she seems to decide issues on a case-by-case basis in a way that's a little bit disconnected. Um, and uh, uh, so my concern with that is that it's going to be unpredictable uh, where she will land on all sorts of important issues. I don't think anybody can quite know uh, especially when it comes to religious freedom, things like that. She's certainly not on the record on those matters, um, and it will just depend on the day. Uh, Malcolm Roberts, on the other hand, does have a much clearer view of, of his political philosophy, and I think that we can rely on him fairly dependably uh, to be on the right side of a lot of the issues that matter to us. Uh, All of these things will be important as these uh, special agenda items actually uh, hit the parliament uh, for debate. Uh, Let's let's go to Israel Folau because, well, you've been front and centre over this past week uh, on all the major media, Martin, and uh, just a significant thing that uh, the Australian Christian Lobby set up an alternative fundraising campaign when the GoFundMe campaign page uh, was taken down. Uh, I imagine, if we get a little insight from you, did you expect the sort of reaction from Australians uh, that clearly was an avalanche of support? Uh, Just reflect for us for a few moments on just the developments that have happened this past week. Oh, it was just phenomenal, Neil. I'm sort of pinching myself and saying, did that actually happen? Uh, Because it happens... I was... was, It was a whirlwind. I'd forgotten what day of the week it was. Um, I'd hardly slept. I was doing back-to-back interviews until my voice gave out and I couldn't talk. Uh, it was just, in, I wore the same clothes for three days because I was stuck in Sydney and I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> it was absolutely insane. I actually had to buy a new jacket for my second sunrise appearance because I thought, <laughs> I can't go on twice. <laughs> Everyone will know what's up. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 we just, the Lord just brought this in front of us and, uh, and it all blew up and, and we just did it. And I actually cannot believe how God has used the stand of Israel Folau uh, in such a remarkable way not only to raise this issue to a level like it's never been raised, not only to rally so many thousands of people, more than $2 million, less than two days, over 22,000 individual donors, an incredible statement, uh, but also the way in which the gospel's been able to be proclaimed through this. I mean, I was on the Sunday Project, one of the top-rating programs that's got no room for Christianity and so on, and was able to sit there and answer their questions and speak off the fact that, you know, we will all be judged by God at the end of our lives, that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is the only salvation available. I actually said this twice because they kept asking me. Uh, And I just find it to be absolutely incredible what has happened. 
And I look at history and I think, I see guys like Martin Luther who stood there and said, you know, I cannot recant because my conscience is held captive by the word of God. And he stood firm in how God used his testimony. And I see again uh, that that happened so many times in history. And I really think that Israel, he made a stand for the right reason. He really believed he could not, you know, recant, so to speak. He believed that he couldn't do that before God in good conscience. And that's been honoured in a most remarkable way. God has worked, and we can pray that this only continues, and I'm confident that it will. Uh, Interesting to hear you reflecting, Martin, and saying, God has done this. The Lord has set this up. And I know that there'll be a lot of uh, listeners who are saying, well, uh, this sounds like a a great testimony of what God might be doing in Australia. Uh, Some people will be sceptical and say, oh, this is somehow or other just coincidental. What gives you the confidence, Martin, to say the Lord has done this and set this this issue up? It really gives me the confidence that uh, we didn't make it happen, if I could put it that way. It came to us. Um, you know, I got a strange phone call just saying, look, the Sunday Project would like to talk to you because someone's discovered, you know, a thing or two about Israel Falau. Uh, and from that point, uh, the catalyst just went off. Uh, and it really was uh, us uh, just following in the pathway that was set before us. I was very, very conscious that people were praying all over the country uh, for me and for what was going on. And I, I, I do believe that the, you know, a big part of the reason we got through it was because of prayer. Uh, and I knew that. I could feel that. I could sense that. Uh, certainly in the natural uh, sense, I would have been completely exhausted and done in. Uh, but I was not. And, um, you know, those opportunities don't often come. And even the whole GoFundMe thing, the way that, that turned out and we were able to just step in, uh, you know, and Israel allows legal people and PR people, let us do it. Um, I really believe that it was an opportunity that was just given to us in the moment. And I see the fruit of it. I see that extraordinary um, opportunity that was given and, and how, it, how it sent the gospel really right around the country. And I think, well, you know, I couldn't have planned this and I didn't plan this. It just And so I say, look, that's what the Lord has done. Uh, Martin, let me ask you about the $2.2 million that was raised so quickly. I get the impression that had you said we're looking for $10 million, uh, you might have reached the goal. (laughs) But you actually, you drew a line and you said we need to cap this uh, just Mm -hmm. over $2 million. I know the original goal was three. You put a cap on it. Uh, Some people were being critical of how much money was being raised and how it might be spent. And, of course, those sorts of issues of transparency, no doubt, will be what people will be interested in over the times ahead. But uh, you did draw the line. You said, OK, let's cap it just over $2 million. Uh, That'll be as much as we need for now, and we might need to raise some more later if it, if it goes up higher. But uh, take us into uh, your reasoning there and, uh, and some of the, critic that you, the critique that you've had uh, on, the, on the fundraising aspect. Well, when we took this on, uh, we ag- I spoke to the legal team and I said, listen, I think three mil- you're asking too much with three million. It was their advice that they asked for three. And I said, you're asking for too much in my view. I think that we should raise more, you know, two or even, even a bit less than two uh, and then, then, then pause it and we'll come back to the people when and if more money is needed. I said, I said for integrity's sake, that's how I feel about this situation if ACL is going to do the fundraising. And they said, look, that's totally understandable and no worries with us. And so I had decided, look, we'll stop this at $2 million. But we hit $2 million so quickly, Neil. Yes. Just, we literally couldn't apply the brakes fast enough because <laughs> it just blew through the goal. And we yep. thought, help, stop, stop. So we got all this money, which is absolutely wonderful. I agree with you, Neil. I think it would have just kept going up 
and up and up and up. But there was an integrity thing there where I thought, look, let's let's see how we go with this case. Two million's unbelievably generous, unbelievably supportive. The other side of it is we also made a deal uh, at that stage uh, that we would return all money that is not used in the event that there's unused money. Uh, we will return it all to the original donors on a pro rata basis. Uh, and I didn't say that during the fundraising campaign because I thought that it would actually lead to allegations that people were only giving because they knew they'd get their money back. And I didn't want to have that colour the whole thing. But we have now announced that that will go back in the event that there's left over to everyone who gave on a pro rata basis. So it's just a transparency thing. And I felt like I really needed to be able to defend what we were doing, uh, if in the you know, given that we've now taken it over. I couldn't help but notice it was like panic stations for a lot of people who were Israel for Laos critics and now Australian Christian Lobby's critics are saying that money would have been best spent on sick children. Uh, what are your thoughts? And there might be even listeners who are, are just a little doubtful as to uh, this money. It's been raised, more than $2 million. Uh, maybe there were better causes but I'm, I'm wondering whether your thoughts here about the importance of the cause where the money has been raised uh, might set those doubts uh, at, at, uh, at ease. What are your thoughts here, Martin? Well, I mean, two things. The first thing is that um, I don't think it's an either-or thing. People don't say, well, I'm going to give 20 bucks to Israel for Laos, therefore I can't donate to a sick child for the next 12 months. Mm. It doesn't work that way. People give to those causes that they see as important. They give to those causes that, uh, that resonate with them. And I would be exceedingly shocked if the huge bulk of the people who gave to Israel Folau don't also donate generously to other charities. Christian people, I've discovered, tend to do that. And I think if people are worried about donations to other worthy causes, well, go on and donate to those worthy causes, and we will too. Uh, but the Israel Folau thing is it's, it's important. It's exceedingly important. And it's exceedingly important because we are talking about now a kind of freedom that really does enable the gospel to be proclaimed in society without fear, people to live out their faith in society without fear, and indeed for our freedom to prevail in our democratic uh, system. If we don't have those things, the only op option is tyranny, and the only option is the closing down of the very avenues of truth, uh, which we need to declare uh, the truths that I was able to speak on, on national television. Uh, if we can't do that, then we can't do the bread and butter of the Christian faith. And also, we can't ever fully love our neighbours. And so that freedom is absolutely crucial to the very fabric of this nation. And I think it is an act of love of neighbour, not just to support Israel in his time of need, and he's genuinely gone through a lot of difficulty, uh, but also to stand up for the principles at work. I think they affect all Australians in a most deeply important way. Uh, good insights there to offer, Martin Niles. And before I let you go, uh, interesting to make some reference to the Logies last night. And uh, a lot of uh, listeners might have been tuned in to watch some of the Logie Awards, uh, great television awards. And uh, there's an awful lot to uh, to unpack if you were just talking about a few of the, uh, you know, a few of the winners. But just to draw attention to one of the Logies that was awarded, and that was to veteran journalist Kerry O'Brien, who was inducted into the Logies Hall of Fame. 
just a magnificent career and uh, no doubt uh, just you know the person to win the Logie uh, for that uh, Hall of Fame award uh, certainly Kerry O'Brien very deserving but he didn't hold back in some of the things that he wanted to draw attention to having that few moments in the spotlight he talked about the ABC being punished because of an ideological obsession. Now, this is something, no doubt, that there'll be lots of talk about uh, the ABC and uh, funding cuts and all sorts of things. This will all emerge, no doubt, as Parliament continues to sit uh, after it starts tomorrow. What were your thoughts about Kerry O'Brien, some of those comments that he made? They weren't friendly comments. They were very critical of a lot of different issues. Oh, yeah, look, and, and also I, I saw those comments uh, fresh off the back of spending a week really in the media constantly and running between studios and going on different programs and getting uh, getting really bailed up in the street, actually, by a number of reporters and having interviews uh, and things like that. And I, they really resonate with me. I, I straight away just thought, well, that's, that's bang on the money, Kerry. You understand this? Because he said something very interesting. He said that they were driven by a desire to punish uh, and that's absolutely true. I felt as though uh, they wanted to make an example out of me. The whole intent of every interaction was to make me trip, to make me look like a fool, and to undermine me and to discredit me. They were very, very nasty. Uh, and that went on for the first 48 hours plus of just me effectively doing my utmost to survive. Uh, and it was not nice. You know, when you have that for a whole day, you go home at the end of the day and you feel really, really run down. And, and, and it's not nice at all. And it's an ideological bias of epic proportions. But of course, once they saw the huge support that poured in, it was very interesting. A couple of the major programs that invited me back on treated me really, really well the second time around. They even sent a car around to pick me up from my hotel and all sorts. And, you know, almost as if apologizing. And that support uh, really made a huge difference to the tone because they realised that their viewers were on side with this. Uh, but there's no doubt that what Kerry said is true. The ideological bias is tough and it makes it a formidable effort for anyone who wants to go into that sphere and survive and get a message out. I think he was also referring to some level of punishment of the ABC by ideological obsession on another side as well. So there's a, there's a number of things here that might need interpreting uh, when you hear about what he was talking about. But he also mentioned uh, these words, uh, fake news, and uh, talked about his own industry failing to cut through fake news. And uh, this expectation that we all might have, that the ABC, being the national broadcaster, might be able to uh, check their facts before uh, making uh, news commentary or, uh, or those uh, news headlines. What are your thoughts on this idea that he's drawing into uh, this issue of fake news and saying that his own industry is failing to cut through? Well, I think it's because, uh, and I think he's right when he mentions the ideological issues, because... What I noticed was most of the interactions I had with the press and most of the programs I went on to, they had an ideological position before I started. So there was a particular outcome that they wanted to achieve from that interview. Mostly it was to make me look bad and a particular ideological position in which they wished to land. The desire was not to find out what I had to say and to... Uh, raise debate and to uh, try and extract as many facts as possible. That certainly was not the governing principle, certainly was not the interaction that I had. 
every time it was, we already know what the right answer is, and we're getting you on here to confirm what we're telling the audience is the right answer. And so you can see how there's a difference between looking for truth and simply pursuing an ideology. And I would say that with just a few exceptions, um, my encounter was all about ideology. Uh, and it was a real tough job for me to cut through uh, where they were trying to go and try and raise up the truth and speak the truth. So, look, I think that uh, he sounds a timely warning. Uh, and I think it's also useful for us to hear this and know this so that when we look at the press and read the press, we do so with a healthy dose of scepticism. Uh, and we try and find reliable sources that, that tell the truth. Uh, but also we make sure that we're discerning when we read and know that there are ideological agendas at play. Well, no doubt you've got a big week ahead of you, Martin Isles, as Parliament is back sitting from tomorrow, as these huge issues are going to be before our legislators. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us once again today. I'll point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au, where you'll find some great resources and understanding what's happening with a Christian position on many of these big ideological challenges uh, that we're facing in this day and age. Martin Isles, thanks so much for joining us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.